And I wrote this out, and I want to read it because I want to make sure it's kind of hard to just expound it without reading it when you do something, put it together. But I want to talk with you tonight and speak with you about how to navigate through an ever-increasing sinful world. Report after report of turmoil in the country, and the rest of the world seems to snowball into a greater tragedies day by day. Murder, racism, terrorist attacks, government scandals, police killings, and the list goes on. The world is filled with sin and sinful people who do many sinful things. We cannot allow our minds to focus on the things that are going on around us that are caused by the sin of the world. The spirit of delusion that has been unleashed in the world today. Therefore, it is important not to be deceived. As we walk daily in the world, we talk and we listen to other people, and many have much different opinions than we do about what is right and what is wrong. We cannot have our beliefs questioned by, by what others say or do that are contrary to God's Word. And that's just kind of an opening statement of the, what I want to speak with you about tonight is because our world is in a world right now that 25 years or maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, none of us would have ever, have ever believed in our wildest dreams that what we'd be seeing going on today in America. A lot of what we call, what, are, what the regular people are calling normal today, we call mental illness 25 years ago. Okay? But now mental illness... People whose minds are delusional, to say the least. Uh, all of these things that are happening, we'd say, we say this will never happen in America. We would never see the things that we're seeing in America happen today. And I don't know about you, but if you sit and watch too much news or watch too many things that's going on, it keeps you in a constant turmoil because you're saying, God, what's going on? What's going on? And we don't. We have to realize something, and that is, is that that the spirit of Satan. The spirit of Satan has been unleashed on us and, and, and is now openly doing sin in the streets, so to speak. And I used to say when, years ago, and this has been probably 10 or 15 years ago, I said, you know, Lord, if, if things don't change, you're going to have to, if things get any worse than it is right now, says, you're going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because of what was going on in the streets, you know. But the, but the thing about it is, is we can't stay focused on those things. If we're going to make it through these times, there are certain things that we're going to have to do to be able to make it through. And, it's, and, and I want to share with you about four things, and I'm going to elaborate on, but four things that I want to share with you tonight about it. And so to be able to navigate in this present world, you must first understand, you must first understand what's going on. What's going on with it? What's going on today? The world is changing all around us. But we serve an unchanging God. It does not matter what people say. It doesn't matter what people think. I responded to one on Facebook today. Somebody was telling me that they thought that abortion was okay. They thought it was, it was, it was, it was okay. And I said, I responded, I don't care what you believe. What I care about is what does God's Word say. And it becomes our, one of the things that happened is we know that God is unchanging because in, in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, 8 verse, it says, And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
If God said it was wrong yesterday, it's wrong today and it'll be wrong in the future. It's not going to change. And it's, so the world is changing around us. But that doesn't mean that we have to change. It just means that we have to be not controlled by those things which we see and hear and, and all those things that are going on. But we must trust and completely obey what God says to do. People are trying to change what God said. Trying to change what God said. God is not, God is not going to change his mind. If he said it was wrong in the Old Testament... He said it was wrong in the New Testament. He said he's not going to change it now. And it's important for us to understand that what they're trying to change is what God's Word says. And they do this by changing the translations of Scripture. If you find someone who is a progressive person or a progressive Christian, uh, being one that's moving on and finding and being enlightened on all of the new things in the, it, it, because the translation that we've known for years and years and years that has, that has been going from, from Jesus to the New Testament for 2,000 years, the rest of it, you know, 4,000 years. Everybody for 4,000 years have been wrong. And the bright ones today are more enlightened to understand what God really meant when he said what he said. They're not enlightened. They're delusional. Because even if you think about it, it makes no sense at all. I was one time uh, told that I was not accepting change because I was a literalist, literalist, I looked at God's Word literally. What other way is there? Is there any other way to to look at God? If God says right and God says wrong, God's pretty, pretty basic. The one thing I like about God, He's pretty straightforward with what He's trying to say. And He says, you're either right, wrong, hot, Cold, righteous, unrighteous, you know, it's always one or the other. The only time he mentions being in the middle is in Revelation when he talks about if you're warm, lukewarm, he says, I'll vomit you up. Spew you out of my mouth makes it sound better. But basically he said it makes me vomit. So when people start attacking what? The Word of God. They're trying to to make the Bible irrelevant. They're trying to make the Bible irrelevant. You take your Bible and you say, but God's Word says. They say, oh, but that was written by man. Of course it was written by man. Somebody had to put a pen on it. God didn't, he's not going to sit down and scribe it out. But but we believe that what? The Word word of God is the... God, the Bible is the inspired Word of God. It's what God inspired upon men to write. If we don't believe that the Scriptures is the inspired Word of God, what, how can we believe anything in the Word of God? How can you even believe that you're saved if you can't believe what the Word of God says? 
Pastor's always talking about here about healing. God says, it, it's yours. It's yours. It's yours. And a lot of people say, God's got to do something. God's got to do something. Folks, he's already died on the cross. There's nothing else he can do. It's already been done. It's already been paid for. Your salvation was paid for. Your healing was paid for. Your blessings have been paid for. Your troubles have been paid for. All of it has been paid for on the cross to never have to be done again. So many people cry out, why is God doing this? God's not. You got the wrong precept. The Bible says to study precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. But line upon line, study God's Word. That, that way you don't get confused about what God, what God wants and what God wants for us. Okay? We, as, as we look at the world today, this irrelevance that they're trying to do, but you always have to remember that the Bible was divinely, divinely written and is, was, was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it is the truth for us today. Don't let people steal your Bible from you. You say, well, they're, not, they're going to steal my physical Bible. There may come a day in America. I know you can't see it. Maybe I can't see it. But there may come a day in America to where they'll take all the Bibles away. Other countries have done it in the past. People say, yeah, but this is America. Folks, do you believe what's going on there would have happened if 25 years ago? Would you have ever believed it was where it is today? No, and I guarantee you with another 10 or 15 years, if God tarries, you won't recognize America then either. You say, I, this would have never happened. I would have never had somebody come into my door and take my Bibles away. People want to take the Bible because that's what proves God, the existence of God. And everything that God wants for us. So you have to understand what's going on. They're trying to take away the Word of God from us and to tear down the Word of God. If they can tear that down, then they've got, their, they've got the basis of everything that they need. Secondly, Satan is trying to take your authority away, taking over your power to be an overcomer. Now, how does Satan take away your authority? God gave us authority in John chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to become children of God and to those who believe in his name. He told us that we could become children of God. That comes with responsibilities, but it also comes with an inheritance that comes with it. If you're born of a natural birth and you have a father, you have a father and a mother, you may not know who they are, but you do have a father and a mother. You had to, right? At some point in time, maybe they weren't a father to you or maybe they weren't a mother to you, but that's that but the point is is there has to be a, a man and a woman come together and because that's the way God made creation. And let me just say this. There are only I know this is probably a bad word you're supposed to be using in the word of, in, in church, but there's only two sexes. Okay? There's only two, male and female, because that's what God that's what God that's what He created. He didn't create anything else. They tried to take away the word sex and call it gender. 
that's delusional. But people don't recognize delusion. It's called deception. When people are deceived, and when you have a spirit of delusion or a spirit of, of uh, dis- deception, it's easy for people to be, de- be deceived. But it's important for us to realize that we are something. We are a child of God. If you really want to know who you are, I'm going to put a plug in. Come, in, come to my class on Sunday mornings, 930, because we're talking about who you are. Who you are. The powers that come with it, what you get, what is yours. But I'm just going to say we're our children of God. What Satan has challenged your authority, by, it makes you question your identity. He tries to steal your identity. We hear about natural identity theft. When somebody kind of clones as you and tries to become you and gets, steals your, your, all of the, your credit cards and gets you in all kinds of financial trouble because they try to clone who you are and do that, well, Satan wants to rob you of who you are, a child of God with benefits. If he can challenge that authority that God has given you to be a son of God, then he causes doubt to come into you about who you really are. It's many times in, when you see people that, they're a, that their authority or their identity is being questioned, it's very easy to recognize it. There are certain words, I'm only going to mention a few, but there are certain phrases that happens with these people. And it lets you know that they have lost their spiritual identity. They may not have lost their natural ability or their natural identity of this world, but they've lost their spiritual identity. When you hear people say, well, I'm just nothing. I'm a loser. There's no reason for me to live. I just need to take my life. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I'm irrelevant. This is people who don't know who they are. Satan has come in to rob this of who they are. They rob your identity. You just must not believe them. You are a child of God, son and daughter of God, and that is what God's Word says you and I are. Nobody can question I can't say that. People will question it because that's what they do. But by God's Word, that cannot be questioned. Because God's Word, you have to realize there's a few things about God that you have to realize. One is it's impossible for Him to lie. Okay? So what He said, He meant. And if He said that you are my child, then you are His child. Okay? It's impossible for Him to lie. And all of his promises are maybe. Right? No. No, he didn't say all of my promises are maybe and so be it or whatever. He said all of his promises are yes. Now, if you believe that the Word of God is the inspired, the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and you believe that it's impossible for God to lie, and that you believe that his promises are, to you, are yes, 
then you should never, ever, ever doubt what God's Word has said to you. We're not attacked from the inside as Christians. We're attacked from the outside. It's what comes against us is where our problems are. Now, third thing I want to say is we have to recognize that what's going on today, even though we didn't think we would ever see it, is what God told us through Paul in the second chapter of Timothy, or second Timothy, the third chapter, when he said, thirdly, that in the, in the last days perilous times will come. I think we're there. It says in the end time, perilous times will come. We've had a lot of bad things happen to us through all the ages, even things that have happened. Uh, we, we, we see a lot of things that have happened even in my lifetime, even in my short lifetime, being as young as I am. But when you read here in 2 Timothy, there's a lot of scriptures here, but I want to touch these. It's important that we know this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. Does anything ring yet in our world today? Blasphemers, people blaspheming God. Every day we hear it. People blaspheming God. What God is. Coming up, there is no God. There is no God. That's what they're saying. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Mm, Don't like to talk about that one. To hear some children the way they talk to their parents. I don't know. If I would be here today, if I talked to my parents half as bad as I've heard kids talk to their parents today. One of two things. Either my mother would have spanked me until I died, or my father would have beat me till I died. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that with the greatest respect in the world because they raised me. To speak, thank you, you know. We don't even get thank you anymore. Never get the one when they bump into you in the store of I'm sorry. It's more, I get out of my way. No respect, right? In the end times, this stuff will happen. And and did we ever think that we would see that? No. But it says in the end times, this is going to happen. And it says, unthankful. I just said that. They're not thankful. Not thankful for what they have. They want something today because we owe it to them. We owe them truth. Okay? We don't owe them a life. 
I think now they're talking about the average age of a child leaving home is near 30. Do you realize how old some of them are if you get an average of 30? You know, you've got to have them older than that and younger than that to get 30. You understand what average means, right? They don't understand what average means, but average in the middle means there had to be a bunch up above that and there had to be a few below that, right, to come up with an average of 30. So we realize that they're not thankful. They, it's, we have an OMI society. And if you don't think we have an OMI society, look at what progressives are doing today. I'm not talking apologies. I'm talking about just progressive thinking. It's everything has to be free. Well, that whole old saying back when I was in sales, you don't get anything for free unless somebody somewhere is getting nothing from something. People say, how many of you ever got something free? If you haven't got something free, pick up a pen on the way out. We have them in the back. They look like this. You know, if you've never received anything free in your life, I don't. Th- I think we. I want everybody to release, receive something free before they leave here tonight. Okay, but we know that people. Have, I know what it is. You don't want to raise your hands because they think I got a catchphrase coming after that. But, but the thing about it is, we all have had something that's free. I don't. You might go down to the shop. You know, they say, "Hey, here, this is free." You go over and you eat it. You walk out. Didn't cost you a dime. It was truly free to you, but somebody had to pay for it. So that person didn't get anything, but they paid something for it. So nothing in life is free. And we can have all the free things. We can get it to where, you know, government sends us, uh, you know, 20000 a month. And we live good until all the money. Trouble is, if everybody got that and nobody's paying anything in, where's the money going to come from? Somebody has to pay for those things which are free. Okay, Now, the world has got everything upside down. I'm just using this example of being upside down. Everything is basically upside down in the world today. What used to be right is now wrong. What used to be wrong is now right. Does anybody know what, in the eyes of the world, what is right? How does the world determine what is right? Feels good. That's one good way. They feel right. You know, everything is right because somebody said it was right. Somebody else believed that it was right. But normal used to be normal meant 50% plus one. If 50% of the people said this is normal, it was normal, and the 49% was wrong. For so long, the Christian people was determining what was right and what was wrong because we determined this is right and that is wrong. Now, the church today, thank God not our church, but the church today has watered down the gospel so much that people don't even know what's right and what's wrong anymore. You cannot navigate through a sinful world if you don't know what's going on, okay? 
Now, this unloving, unforgiving, slanders, I'm going to just get on with it because i got to go here in a few minutes here. Having a form of godliness but denying the power. And from such people turn away. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a, in a minute, so put that one up on the shelf. For this sort of those who creep into households and make captives, gullible men and women. Now, I know it says women loaded down with sins, but there's a lot of gullible men out there too. Led away by their various lusts. Always learning, but never able to come into the knowledge of truth. When right becomes wrong, they cannot understand truth because they don't have knowledge. We have dumbed down America to the point that people don't even know our history anymore. They don't even know what happened in history. They don't even realize. There's people that question the Holocaust. Ever happened. Anyway. So, number four. We need to understand that navigating through this increasingly sinful world, we have to know how to do it. Now, I've talked about what the sinful world is and what we're living in, but how do we survive? How do we navigate through all of these things that are happening around us? Well, moving on down in the Scripture, in verse 10, it says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine. Anybody know what doctrine is? Doctrine is that which what we believe. He said here, the way these people, way they are surviving this is because they held on to the doctrine of God's Word, the truth of His Word. It says, the manner of life. What manner of life? The manner of life that was Christ-like. They continued in Christ-like manners. We can't get caught up and change who we are. We can't change our behaviors. We can't change all the things that's there. We have to recognize that we have to keep our doctrine. We have to keep our manner of life and our purpose. I ask people all the time, what's your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? A lot of people have all different kind of purposes. This job, that job, the first thing they think of is jobs and successful and all these types of things. But what is your spiritual purpose? And what is the purpose that God put in every one of our lives? He put us here, saved us for a purpose. And it's not going to heaven. I'll take that one away. You can check that one off. What is our purpose in this life? Preach the gospel. Save the world. Very simple. That's our purpose. God wanted us to preach the gospel for souls to be saved, one to the kingdom. That's what we're here for. Now, everything else that God blesses us with, those are great, the healings and all the things of God. But our purpose is to share the word of God with people and to share, 
to share, to share, to share, and to draw, that people through the Word of God would be drawn to Him. That's what it's all about. Our reward is heaven. That's our reward for doing those things. Faith. We've heard a lot about faith. I don't need to talk about faith, I don't believe. But also long-suffering. I don't like that one. Can we scratch that one out? Let's scratch, everybody scratch that one out of their Bible. Long-suffering. You know, we, don't want to, we don't want to suffer for anything. But we need to understand that there will be suffering for what you believe. Today, the only suffering we get is this. Mouth rebuke, all of that. Other places in the world, they'll cut your head off. Okay? So far in America, all we get is people just talking about us. Don't know how long that will last. Love and perseverance. I don't want to go read all of those because I don't have time to read all these scriptures, but you can go all read all the way down to talk about persecutions, afflictions, all of these things. But what I want to do is talk about now tools. What are your tools that you have to be able to navigate through all this time that we're going through? Because we have to know what tools we have available. The first one is very simple. Prayer. The more we pray, the closer we get to God. The closer we get to God, the stronger we are. The stronger we are, the easier it is to say no to the world. But it's something we have to do, and that's a choice that we make. With that... I will make a brief announcement that we have prayer every morning at 6 o'clock here at the church. People say, well, I can pray just good at home. You can. Not saying you can't. But I'll tell you this, there's something about a group of people getting in a room and praying together that moves heaven. And Tuesday through Friday, we have it from 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. We invite you, if you're an early riser, you can come and be with Pastor Goodluck, Mike and those guys early in the morning at 6 to 7. If you're a late riser, you can come and be with my wife and I from 9 uh, from nine to 10, Tuesday through Friday. But you can have those times of coming and praying. The other thing is the Bible. Don't let the world steal your confidence in the Word of God. Because they want to steal your confidence in the Word of God. We must read the Word of God because the Word of God is what gives us strength through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will take the Word of God and make it real on the inside of us. Pastor's always talking about we've got to get it in our mouth. We've got to get it in our mouth. Sometimes it's hard to believe how much I hear him talking about the mouth. And I used to be criticized for talking so much about people with the confessions of their mouth. And uh, uh, even to the point I had to, one of my board members come up to me and says, you know, if you, if you don't quit talking so much about saying things in the mouth, we're not going to be able to get anybody to stand up and have a prayer request. Because they're going to be afraid to stand up and say, I'm sick with this. So I had to change the message to tell them how to, te- how to get up and say the doctor said, you know, or somebody else said or whatever, but th- this is what I need for you to pray for. Understanding that the mouth is very, very powerful, but it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Word of God. If we have the Word of God in us, then we can speak the Word of God. If we don't have the Word of God in us, we can't speak the Word of God. And so we end up having to take something less than what God's Word says. But this that's what you need to get it. 
Now I want to talk about another thing, and that is focus. Focus. You can call it fine-tuning if you want to talk about fine-tuning, if you like that better, but focus is what it's about. Focus your eyes on God and see the way God sees, not the way man sees. You can't look at this world in your natural eyes and let that control your destiny. If you look at this world you'll the way it is today and you look at the way it is, and we all, that's the reason I'm preaching the message is because it is, it is that way. We know what's happening. But we know that it's coming because God's Word said it was going to come. So we can't be upset, and we may not know what tomorrow holds. There's a song about this. Some of you may have probably never heard it. Some of you are old enough to hear it. I don't, I may not, you know, I don't know who holds the mar- tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. It's an old song we used to sing years ago. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. But he says, I do know who holds my hand. And that's important for us to understand. But today, Satan is trying to blur your vision. People who have naturally blurred vision go and get glasses. Right? If you have a blurred vision, you say, I can't see very well. And I couldn't see very well for a long, long, long time. And it's nice to be able to see your face. Because I used to wear glasses and still couldn't see your face. Because of technology, God has blessed me with eyes that I can see. My wife calls it my eagle eye. But you go get a pair of glasses to make those things which are blurry, crisp, clear, so that you can understand and you can read. Well, see, some people's vision, spiritual vision, has been blurred by Satan. They don't see the way they should see. They can't make out what they need to make out from God. And we need to put on some spiritual glasses, and focus our eyes, our spiritual eyesights on the things of God, who He is, what He is, where He is, and where we're going. Focus on the Word of God with our vision so that we can see as God sees, and that way we can walk as God wants us to walk. Then we need to tune our hearing. I preached a message years ago on hearing the voice of God. I said, everybody says the Bible says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. I had a person come up after after the service and says, Brother Graham, what does God's voice sound like? I don't think I've ever heard it. I looked at him jokingly. Jokingly, I said, I am God. I said, does that sound familiar? He says, no. I said, I didn't think it would. I said, God's voice is that still small voice on the inside. It's not something. Now, I won't tell you that it's not something that's, that you can actually hear because I have actually heard. I don't know if you want to call him an audible. I don't like using the word audible voice of God, but I will tell you this, that when he spoke to me, I turned around and looked in the back seat to see if there was anybody back there. 
That's how strong it was. But most of the time, it's that still small voice on the inside of you. And the one thing I can always tell you about the voice of God, He never contradicts God's Word. That still small voice will never, ever contradict God's Word. It will never be harsh, unloving, bitter. That still small voice inside says, you need to get him because he's really bad. That's not, that small voice is not God talking to you. You need to recognize, you say, but how do I recognize the voice of God? I would tend to say the easiest way to recognize God, if something comes to your mind that is good, walk in it. If it goes along with God's word, walk in it. As you begin to walk in things, it requires you to have faith. But many people, their faith has, is some people take giant steps of faith. Other people take small steps of faith. It doesn't matter if I walk like this or like this. Sooner or later, I'm going to get over here. If you walk in faith, you will go forward in your trust. I like to say for every small step of faith you take, you increase in your measure of trust. When you step out by a little bit of faith and you trust God and God ministers that and it all happens... Next time, it's easier to take that step. Why? Because your trust is elevated and has come up to another level. We try to live everything that we have by faith. But I shared with my class on, on Sunday, some things we just get to the, we have to get to the point that we know. People say, well, I, I'm saved by faith. I was saved by faith, but i tell you something. I know I'm saved. Faith has nothing to do with it. Why? Because I've lived in that faith for so long that it's become a point that it's just everyday life with us, right? It's just like if I was to come down here and I get right here and I sit right here and I stand up, I didn't think about whether or not my legs would hold me up or not. I know they will. Right? When I was a baby, that wasn't the case. I fell a lot. Got a lot of bumps on my head. At least that's what my mama said. I don't remember because I got so many bumps on my head. But anyway, uh, but it's, it becomes a knowledge thing. Do you know when standing up, if I were to tell Bill to stand up here and Bill was to pop up and stand up, he wouldn't even think about it until one day you go to stand up and your leg gives away and you fall. Then when people get up after that happens is they do this because they're not sure. Doubt has entered. 
Okay? Now, that's in the natural. The same thing's happening in the spiritual. When sometimes we get into a, a, a trial or something that's going on, and our faith begins to waver, and that which held us before didn't hold us now, we begin to waver and we begin to hold on. It's time then to get back and say, what's your word say? What's your word say? That's where i got to go. Okay? Now, here's the big one. You have to focus on your thoughts. Your thoughts. People say, what do you mean? It's the mind. The mind and the thought is the first place that temptation shows up. It's where the first doubt shows up is in the mind. While it's still in the mind, we can bring it into obedience to God's Word. It's the first place that it comes, and it's the first place you can get rid of it. Because we have to focus on not what we think and just think. But we have to, when we, a thought comes, we must quickly line that up with the Word of God before we proceed. So many times we move so quickly. I found out in a psychology class or one of those psychology evaluations that there are some people that are, that when they talk, if somebody says something, they speak right back just quick. You know, they just come right out quick. I'm one of those type of people. There's other people that wait anywhere from five to seven seconds before they respond. Because they think about what somebody said. Sometimes I think I need to be one that will wait about seven seconds to about the thought that comes to mind before I decide what I'm going to do. Because I, you know, we do need to. But we need to watch our thoughts. Because the thought is the first place. Now, people who are tempted are tempted through all of the senses, right? Through the eye gate, ear gate, mouth. How people say, how are you tempted in your mouth? Well, you say something bad, but it might be drink something bad. Okay, things you touch should be putting your hands on too. Things you smell, all of the things that we, all of the, all of these senses go to one place. Temptations do not come from within. Temptations come from without, and they come this way. All of the see, all the way from out here. When they come. They can come as a thought because of something you see, and then a thought comes in, a temptation comes in. How do you get past that temptation? You crucify it right there in your mind. You say no to it in your mind. And I like to say, I like to just do this. I bind that thought in the name of Jesus. I bind that thought in my mind in the name of Jesus. And I found out as soon as you bind it in the name of Jesus, it's gone. Just that fast. It's gone. But most people will sit there, and it'll come, and they'll say, well, what? You know, the more they think about it, the more it sounds pretty good, right? Where's the second place the thought goes? What does the thought turn into? An action. Thoughts create actions. So if you don't keep your thoughts under control, if you don't focus on God... When the thoughts comes, you'll slip. Now, I like it that God says, I'm not, a, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. 
But that doesn't mean I'm not going to be tempted. But I also got to tell you this. I, 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 I've, I've taught this, but the, and there's a whole teaching on this. But the fact is, temptation is not a sin. People say, I've been tempted this week. God, just take away my temptations in the name of Jesus. They're coming. They're coming. Get ready for them. They're coming. The temptations are coming. The temptations will change over time when the devil when the devil gets kicked in the kicked in the heels or kicked in the teeth, you know, fifty or sixty times, he's gonna change his approach. He'll try something else. He'll try something different. But the fact is, is we have to learn to take our minds and keep our minds firmly planted on what God wants. We must learn how to overcome temptation. Does anybody know what the answer to when God said, I offer everyone an escape? Does anybody know what the escape is? No. When the temptations come, you just simply say, no. But I want you to do this. No. But you know, you can make a whole lot of money doing it. No. And after a while, you may have to tell them, what part of no don't you understand? Because if you ever say yes to temptation, you just sinned. Okay? It's important to understand that it's not the temptation that's a sin. It's the action that takes place once you're tempted that becomes the sin. Bottom line to all of this is don't let the Word of God get lost in a blur. Stay focused on the Word of God. Stay focused on it. All right, I'm out of time, so I'm going to go quick. Set healthy boundaries. This is another way that you have to do it. By setting healthy boundaries. I'm going to go over these quick because I want to get through them because they're all important. We have many relationships, but what is the impact of those relationships. Do they bring you bring the best out in you? Do they create an atmosphere of righteousness? Where do you spend your time in this relationship? Are they places that bring you to the best out of you? Is it a place that Jesus would approve? Okay? How many of you have ever had a relationship I hope everybody has. If you didn't, you had a lot of... Anyway, a relationship is not in Scripture. God does not want us to have a relationship with Him. You know why? Relationships can be good, and relationship can be bad. He never used the word relationship. He says fellowship with koinonia, the Greek word koinonia. He says, you know, fellowship with me. If I go over here and I'm going to fellowship with Pastor Goodluck, and I fellowship with him, when I say I'm having fellowship with him, you automatically know what? It's good because there's no such thing as bad fellowship. The word itself determines what it is. We need to make our lives fellowship with God, and we need to create around us people that we can fellowship with. Fellowshipping with people 
creates a bond that will help you. Can you imagine? Let me ask you this. If something tragic was happening in your life right now, who would you call first? Everybody's going to say, I'd pray. That's right. Call old Jesus. Usually the first word the first word out of a sinner or a Christian's mouth in a time of tragedy and accident is God help me. It's the most used phrase. It's the most used phrase in any accident in America. You ever first say people, I don't care I don't care if they're an atheist, they're gonna say, God help me. Because that's just something that's innate in man to worship something greater than himself. And when your mind didn't work when your mind's not thinking about it, what's gonna come out of you is what's down here. And that's what God put inside of us. But relationships can be good or bad. And there are many relationships that you have that are not good for you. Any relationship that pushes you away from God, you need to separate from that relationship. Now, people say, all right, now I've got to divorce my wife. I ain't talking, I'm not talking about divorce. Divorce is a, marriage is a contract. That's not a relationship. That's a fellowship. Okay? Okay? That's a fellowship. Because that should only be good between husband and wife. But there are people that you have relationships with that are not good for you. Okay? There are places that you go. And a lot of people say, well, i got to go to the job and i got some bad relationships at the job. There has to be somebody at that job that's, that's a Christian somewhere that you can have fellowship with. It's tough going through every circumstance of life when you're by yourself. Everybody needs someone to fellowship with. Because it says, by the power of two, of agreement. If two of us shall agree on earth is touching anything, it shall be done of our Father which is in heaven, right? If two shall agree. So that means when Jesus sent them out, he sent them out what? Two by two. Why? Because of the strength of the power of both of them. That's the reason why if you don't have anybody you can say is my friend that I can fellowship with, you need to find one and start working on it. Because that fellowship is what you need, not relationships. Relationships can turn bad. Fellowships don't turn bad because fellowship is something that comes from on the inside of us. We must be able to recognize sin. Recognizing sin. We are not a slave to sin, and we are overcomers to sin. We have to be able to walk in the absolute truth of God's Word. The absolute truth of God's Word, not just what people call truth. Truth, we live in a society of compromise. Compromise is a lie if you're looking at it from a truth-lie standpoint. I'm going to end with this, believe it or not, it's coming to an end, believe it or not. Ben Franklin once said, half a truth is often a great lie. I could go back and change that and say half a truth is a lie, but it is a great lie. And when you go into court, you make this on the Bible, or used to, I promise to tell the truth, it doesn't stop there, the truth. And the whole truth. That means you don't leave anything out of it. You tell every gory detail of what the truth really is. You tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That means you don't add anything to that truth that shouldn't be there. That's the definition that our court system says is truth. In other words, truth, all the truth, and nothing but the truth. Not one bit of something put into it because you put one thing into that, what's it become? It becomes a lie. Okay? 
it becomes a lie. And we need to make sure that we understand what sin is completely. Not what the world says sin is or what sin isn't, but what God's Word says it is and live by what God's Word says and not what man says and you'll never get in trouble. My father told me the second sermon I ever lived. I said, Dad, can you teach me anything? But when I go out to preach, I was going out to preach for my second time. I was just a, just a young sprout. And I said, can you tell me anything? I'm going He said, if you preach the truth, you'll never get in trouble. So the best advice, and he says, so I put it at the bottom. I know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But I said, always live in the truth. Now, I want to give you one example. I used this one in... Uh, Africa, and it's all over Africa now, I guess. Every time I go back over there, I remember. So I know that everybody remembers it. If you take a can of white paint and put one drop of black paint in it, what color is it? What does it look like? If you paint it on the wall, what does it look like? It looks like white paint. Because it only had just a little bit. When you put it in there, you see that little red drop. And then when you stir it all up, you don't see the black anymore. It, it looks just as white as it always did. But you put one block of, of, of black paint in. So you go and you say, okay, that's my color for my wall. So you go and you paint your wall like this. And all of a sudden you get down and you got this much left. you got to go back and buy another can of paint. Well, see, you know what you put the one drop in there. But what if somebody else had to go back and say, well, is that, what color is that wall? And you say, it's white. Everybody will contest that, that wall is white. But if you go get a pan of white paint and go back over there to finish that up and you put it up there, something happens. You realize that that paint that had the one drop of black in it is not as white as that white can of paint. And that's the way the Word of God is. It only takes a, Satan only has to take a small thing about it that's a lie, and he turns it into a lie. Okay? He takes a little bit of the thing. It looks good. Looks white, don't see anything with it, whatever. But all of a sudden, you realize that it is a lie. Satan has done it, and the thing about it is, in our world today, the reason we are where we are is because he put a little bit of black in it, and we stirred it up, and we took it. He had a little bit more in it, we stirred it up, and we took it. He added another drop next year, it became a different way. Different one the next time, different one the next time, different one the next time. And all of a sudden, one day we look down in the paint and we say, it isn't white anymore. It was white all those times when he was putting it in there, but when it, our eyes saw for the first time that it wasn't white, we said, how did we get here? You got there one drop at a time. The same thing is with our Christian walk. When we start, start playing with sin and start looking at sin and beginning to add little bits of sin into the, into the mix, we begin to distort, begin to blur that focus on what God's Word is and God's truth is. It's important for us to recognize what the truth is because you can't walk faithfully with the Lord until you know what truth is. Truth, he says, know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is no greater freedom that you can receive to be able to walk totally and completely in the truth. The truth is what we need to be able to navigate through this ever-increasing sinful world. Thank you for the opportunity. Praise the Lord. I'll let, I love what Pastor Good Luck you want to. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Excuse me. You, I can dismiss if you want to. Oh, you go ahead. It's fine.
No. We we have very good uh, teachers in our church, good preachers, and uh, you'll be hearing from them from time to time. Amen. Could you lift your hands up? I know we say this all the time, but it's really important. That's what the Bible says. A will that men everywhere lift up holy hands without fear or doubting. Because don't understand it, but that's what God said to do. And it's nothing better with God than to just obey. You will understand it later. But I believe as we lift our hands up, something comes down from heaven into our lives that you may not even be aware of. God has spoken tonight. And usually God's word brings clarity and gives us the power to live for him. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for your servant that you used tonight. Lord, I pray that you would download greater revelation to his heart than we've received tonight because it's poured out from what you've given to him. And Lord, we do receive. You said you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. We believe in many areas of our lives tonight we're free because we know the truth. Be with your people. Continue with the breakthrough that we are experiencing right now. Every single individual that's a part of our church will experience that that great that breakthrough before our God. And we know that your zeal will perform it for us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.